See, it's not a lack of talent that holds most people back. It's a lack of knowledge of what to do with that talent and how to monetize it in a highly competitive arena, such as the music, the entertainment business. It's very competitive. Hey, this is the gig coach, Rockin' Rick, and I want to welcome you to the Solo Entertainer's Blueprint for Success. I'm a professional entertainer, guitarist, singer, DJ, karaoke host, and I perform over 300 paid gigs every year. And I've done that for several years with my unique combination of live music blended with DJ music and karaoke music and a few other things also thrown in along the way. This podcast is for anyone who wants to be a successful entertainer. Maybe you're a singer. Maybe you're a karaoke singer in in your local bars, your local karaoke clubs, and you've wondered if you could actually make a living singing. Well, I'm here to tell you it's possible. You just need to learn how to do it. See, it's not a lack of talent that holds most people back. It's a lack of knowledge of what to do with that talent and how to monetize it in a highly competitive arena, such as the music, the entertainment business. It's very competitive. Maybe you're a musician who is a, a band player. Maybe you lead a band right now, but you're at the mercy of that band and you can't really, you're limited by who is available to play what gigs. So your career is stuck. If that's you, if that sounds familiar to you, you need to learn how to be a professional solo entertainer like I have. I'm a solo performer and that's what I do six days a week. Maybe you're already a solo performer, but you're not getting anywhere with that. It's because you don't have the right formula to make it work. I know how to help you to do that. Maybe you're a DJ and you want to do, you want to DJ full time, but you're only able to do it a few times a month now because you don't know how to really compete in a market that is saturated with other DJs. Well, I can help you with all of that in the Solo Entertainer's Blueprint. That's what this uh, presentation is about. And today's topic is one that's very important if you're going to be a, a professional entertainer. And that is, here's the statement, you must frequently repeat enthusiastic excellence. The main reason most people never get to the top of a field is because they can't repeat at an excellent level with enthusiasm. Now, let me tell you what that, what that means. The great ones from any profession can all enthusiastically repeat at an excellent level. After they've developed the excellence in a skill, then they have to be able to repeat that skill at the highest level enthusiastically without reaching a burnout phase. Here's an example. Professional athletes. I had a career before, uh, well, a long time ago. Now it's been a really long time ago. I was a professional kickboxer. I was actually a champion kickboxer. I taught martial arts. And as part of being a kickboxer, I was a boxer also because my boxing manager, my kickboxing manager, had a stable of boxers. And we had to box if we were going to kickbox. And I had to learn how to repeat and train at a high level day in and day out to be able to compete in that arena. A quarterback, a football quarterback, a professional has to be able to enthusiastically repeat at an excellent level day after day, practice after practice and game after game. Let's take, for instance, a lawyer, a trial lawyer. 
They have to be able to go in and basically say the same thing day after day, year after year in a court of law. The names change, but the situations are largely the same. A police officer, I was a police officer at part of my career. I understand. you. It's a very monotonous job being a cop. Let me tell you what you do 90% of the time. You ride around and you listen for the radio to call to send you on a call or you're doing mundane things that are not exciting and not thrilling like you know running traffic and writing tickets which I hated to do but you have to be able to do that without burning out see that's what happens to most people in any career they just get burned out and then they have to go do something else they do that for a while then they get burned out a salesperson's a good example a salesperson has to do basically the same script Day after day, hour after hour, they use the same closing techniques on people all day long. And the ones who can repeat with enthusiasm at an excellent level are the ones who are extremely successful in any career. They are the top 1% in any career. That's, I would say, is the most... Um, the, the easiest to point to limiting factor is the inability to repeat with enthusiastic excellence. In other words, people get burned out and it shows. So that's what this this presentation today is about. I learned the importance of this skill, being able to repeat with enthusiastic excellence. When I started my solo show many years ago, this was around 2005, when I was playing with bands all through the years, I never had to worry much about really putting on a good show. You see, I wasn't dependent on that as my income. I always had a day job. Well, I say always. Early in my career, I was on the road full-time, and I was a full-time musician for several years. Then I transitioned into the day the day job world and did that for a while until I came to my senses and got out of it and got back into music where I belonged. But I didn't have to worry about that being my income, so I just, you know, didn't take it too seriously. But when I launched my, what my friends call, my reinvented self, I frankly went through a phase where I just didn't care about anything. All I was going to do was play music. Some of you may have been there at a time in your life where you just you weren't enthusiastic about anything. You may have hit a, a patch of bad luck, of bad circumstances happening in your life, like I did. And I just waved the white flag and literally gave up, which was not a bad thing. That was a good thing because I had to lose a lot of pride. I had to lose a lot of things that had weights that had accumulated on me over the years. I needed to get shit. I needed to get back to the essence of who I was and what I was born to do. I was born to do music. I now know that at this stage in my life, but it took me decades to really come and accept that. I never wanted to accept that I was just a musician. That's what I was supposed to do because somewhere along the way, it had been ingrained in my head that that was not it was nothing to be proud of to be a musician. In other words, it it was less than acceptable. When, in other words, the old adage, when are you going to get a real job? That's what people would, they still say to this day. They come to my shows and, and they, they say, well, do you have a day job? And of course the answer is no, because I do this six nights a week and days a week also. But I was always embarrassed of that until I finally embraced it, and that was around my epiphany in 2005 when I just decided I'd 
I was in the process of losing all my material things because of a horrible divorce that I was going through. And my day job career happened to be uh, changing. It was in a, a time of transition at the same time. And some of you know this story. I had a band and the band decided they were going to strike out on their own and just kind of left me at, in the midst of all this turmoil. And that kind of facilitated my reinvention of myself. But it was the best thing that I I ever did with the reinvented me. I literally woke up and realized one day in the midst of this that I was blessed to be able to play music. What I really always, I loved music from the time I was a kid. I had, in those days, we had 45 records, you know, those old things. And we had a little record player and, and my cousins had some great old Beatles records and records from the 60s and 70s. And I would listen to those. I had a little cassette recorder. I would make tapes of those uh, those records, and I would play like I was the radio DJ, and I would introduce each song. And I was eight or nine years old. See, some of you relate to this because you've had music in you your whole life. You loved, have loved music. Some of you may have never acted on that until you were in your, you were in your twenties or thirties or maybe even forties. Ran across a guy the other day that didn't even start his music career till he was in his forties. So it, it comes in, you know, all different shapes. But I, I woke up and I realized I was so blessed to have people willing to pay me to play my music. And I, I developed kind of a mantra at that time, and I meant it. And this was when I was reinventing myself, kind of starting my life over after this divorce and my whole you know life had basically been turned upside down. I was, I was starting from scratch, the new me. And my mantra was this, I'm just happy to be here. When anyone would you know say, hey, that was good, you, you're great, my response was, man, I'm just happy to be here. I must have said that a thousand times, and I meant it. And every time I said it, it, it activated something in me. I had a new sense of appreciation for my life and the gifts I'd been given musically. And that's how I lived my life. And when I went through that, my solo thing, I just, I as I say, waved the white flag one day, and I just gave up. I surrendered, and I said, I'm just going to get on stage and do exactly what I feel. I'm going to play what I like to play and say what I want to say. I started laying it all out there on every show. In fact, I wanted to see just how crazy I could act on stage. And it was nothing, you know, over the top or, or offensive. But I just wanted to, to be kind of that wild man on stage. And I want to see how far I could go before someone would say to me, Hey, Rick, that's over the top, man. Tone it down a little bit. Well, no one ever said that. And to my surprise, the more animated and carefree I became with my guitar singing and playing to track music, the more funny, off-the-cuff comments that I made on the mic, the more people loved it, and my following grew and grew. I never knew I was a funny guy. I never knew I could make people laugh. At this stage in my career, I can literally do stand-up comedy, and I don't mean to. It it just comes out funny because I've <laughs> I got to the point where I'm just happy to be here and that came across. But the thing that I learned in all of that, people don't want normal on stage. They want normal when they go to their accountant. They want normal when they go to their bank to see their banker about a loan. 
They want normal when they go to their doctor or their dentist. That's where they want normal people wearing normal clothes. When they go and see a show, they don't want their accountant on stage in khakis and a button-down shirt. That's not cool. They want something that they don't see every day, something special. My, my new mantra, I'm just glad to be here, was what I lived by. Now, when I started my solo career, many, most, I, I don't know about most, but many of the early shows that I did were very small shows. In fact, occasionally, it would just be two or three people in the audience besides myself. Here's, <laughs> I played a weekly residency gig. Now, get this. For a year, I did 12 months every week, never missed a week, at a bar that was not really officially open yet. This guy had a restaurant, and he was building this club bar as an attachment to this restaurant on you know the back of it. So during the phase of building, he hired me to come in and play every week. The guy wasn't even open. He didn't even have a liquor license, but he he loved my show. And he would pay me my full scale every show that I played there. And he would invite a couple of his friends. There would be one or two or three people there. And that was all. <laughs> every week I would do it. It was a three-hour show. And I would have to go in and play to one, two, or three people. And you know what? I actually had a ball doing it <laughs> at the time of my life. Because I could do, it was my challenge to see if I could get these people involved in the show. If it was two of them, three of them, four of them, two couples and their 12-year-old kid, whatever. I played to them and I learned, I learned how to control a room and how to connect with someone. You see, you connect with one of the people in the audience, and you build from that. This is all included in my course, the Solo Entertainers uh, Boot Camp, that I'm working. It'll be ready for release February 2020. But all of this information is in there. But I learned to do this in this club that I played every week for a year. And to, to find out, he never really opened it up. He ended up selling the restaurant and the whole thing after he had done this for a year. Guy had, you know, uh, another business on the side, and I think he, he was in the construction business. So, But I did that for an entire year, and that really teaches you how to be comfortable on stage. You see, it's easy to play for a packed room, a packed house, 100, 200, 300 people in there. It's easy to do that. There's high energy in the room, but where you learn to be an entertainer is in the small gigs. I'm telling you, embrace that. There's a guy, um, and some of you may be familiar with his name. His name is Neil McCoy, and he's a country a singer, huge country singer from the 90s was his big career. He happens to be from the same town that I'm from in East Texas. And when Neil was coming up, his his name is McGoy. It's uh, M-C-G-O-Y, but they changed it in Nashville to McCoy. Super nice guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, he's the nicest guy in, in the world. Let me tell you where, where Neil learned to be the fantastic entertainer that he is today. And if you ever see one of his shows, you'll know why he's still out on the road and you can still see him in Vegas and different places. He played at a Chinese restaurant. He didn't, they were, we were teenagers, I think probably 17, 18, 19. Neil's a year or two older than me. And 
We, he played at a Chinese restaurant, Cantons, in Longview, Texas. <laughs> if you ever see him, you ask him about Cantons. And he would do a, a solo show. Sometimes I would play guitar with him doing that. And sometimes he had a keyboard player. But he would sit there and sing. Now imagine yourself in the corner of a Chinese restaurant entertaining people. And Neil did that for, I think, a couple of years, maybe maybe longer. I don't know, but it, it was you know, well-known, that was the place that he was. So you learn to play to smaller crowds. That's where you learn to entertain. Then you can translate that. So let me tell you about uh, one of the things that happened in my career. As I started to build my solo show, I recognized that one of the greatest opportunities, because this was about money for me now, I no longer have my day job. I just committed everything to doing solo music. I wasn't going to go with a band because I knew the limitations of that. And I was never again going to be at the mercy of anyone else in a band where if they couldn't play, I had to scramble to find a substitute and the band wasn't going to sound as good and blah, 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 fill in the blank. So I determined I was going to do solo entertainment. I focused on a market called the fair and festival market. Because as I researched, that's the most lucrative market for consistent entertainment. Uh, Like your area, wherever you live, has a a state fair or county fairs. And there are really an unlimited number of festivals these days. Most cities, small and large, have festivals, two or three or four or more each year. Some larger cities have festivals nearly every other weekend because there there are a lot of reasons they have festivals. They can get grant money and and some other things, but they have budgets to to pay for entertainment. So I started focusing on doing the fair and festival market. And a solo act like mine, on average, because it was a specialty thing, again, that I talk about in my course, Solo Entertainer's boot camp. Uh, An act like mine would generate $1,000 a day, and I would have to play uh, four sets, four hours, basically. You do an hour, and you take 30 minutes off, do an hour. But it was generally um, $1,000 a day on a multiple-day run. In other words, festivals, some festivals are mostly three days, but fairs tend to be three, four, five days a week long, sometimes 10 days, depending on where they are. So that was the budget, and that's what I worked toward doing. Well, along the way, um, an agent ran across me. You see, when you start having success, when you use the formulas that I can teach you how to use, they will come to you. You don't have to beat down the doors of agents. The agents will contact you because they want to resell you, because they want to get a piece of the action. Uh, That's how it works. So an agent contacted me from the State Fair of Texas, which is the biggest fair in uh, the world, actually, State Fair. And they they say that California claims it's the biggest, but Texas, of course, is bigger than than anything. That's their claim to fame. So I was hired at the State Fair of Texas to do every day a daily show. It's called a daily there, a daily show seven days a week for the entire run of the fair, which ended up being 27 days. Uh, all said and done, I think it was 24 days of play, but then I had to be there a day early and a day late or two days early. We had rehearsals or whatever it was. But I did that for four years in a row. 
And it was seven shows a day, seven days a week. I actually lived on the, uh, they have a special area for entertainers where you park your RV there and you stay. It's on the grounds of the fairgrounds, but it's hidden away. Nobody knows that it's there, but but it's where I, I stayed. So I was literally there for nearly a month. Oh man, let me tell you, that will teach you how to repeat with excellence without getting burned out because you don't have that option. Let me give you just a little kind of, of how it was. I had to do seven shows a day. My first show every day was at 12 noon, and I would play every hour on the hour. In other words, I would do 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock show. My shows began, I was doing 40 minutes on and 20 minutes off. My agent negotiated that down to 20 on and 40 off, which was a big, that's a big help when you're doing that many shows. So I had, I was on in the Coliseum on a stage with theater seating. In other words, crowds would come in. It's like a Branson uh, show, but it was in this Coliseum at the State Fair. If you've ever been to the State Fair of Texas, it's the big blue building says the Coliseum. That's the name of it. It's right across from the Cotton Bowl where they play all the football games. So I was in there. And my first show was at 12 o'clock, and my dressing room was very nice. I had a private dressing room with a shower and, and all of that. It was really comfortable. And I would have to be, you know, on the clock at, at 12 o'clock, my show had to start. It couldn't start at 12.01. It had to be exactly because they had a stage manager who was assigned to each stage to make sure that the acts were starting on time and, you know, doing what they were supposed to do. So it was a very high, very stressful and tightly managed gig. And I, again, I did seven shows a day and each one of those shows had to be different because each hour there was a, a totally different crowd there except for the ones who stayed over and, you know, wanted to see the show again, or they may go walk around the fair and then come back for another show if they, if they really liked it. Every hour I would have to, you know, come out of the dressing room like it was a fresh first show of the day and have to have that energy and that excitement because this is the first time the crowd is seeing me, but it may happen to be my sixth show of the day and the enthusiasm can't wane. You have to be on all the time. And every show I did was different. Uh, it was never the same, but still. You repeat this same show day in and day out, and it starts to work on your mind. It starts to kind of get to you, and it would always hit me. Around the second week, it was a three-week run, and around Tuesday or Wednesday of the second week, for some reason, I would develop this case of stage fright. I'd never had stage fright in my life. I never suffered with that. This was a new thing for me, but it was real. There, um, I was on a stage in the Coliseum and I had the dressing room and there was a curtain. I could peek through the curtain and see the crowd coming in and, you know, how, how full the seats were or whatever. And that second week, I would always, I would peek through that curtain, maybe the second or third show of the, the day. And this wave of anxiety and fear would, would wash over me like nothing I've ever experienced. And it would just make me want to grab my guitar pack my stuff and sneak out the back door of the Coliseum. It really would. It was, it was overwhelming, but I knew I just had to 
take a deep breath, walk out there, start, you know, start another show and, and do that. I would walk out and this is what I would say, no matter how I was feeling, this is what I would say. I would walk out, get on the mic. Good afternoon and welcome to the great state fair of Texas. I'm Rockin' Rick and I'm going to be your host on a musical journey today. So sit back and relax or if you feel like it, jump up and dance in the aisle. Here we go. And the music would start and I would do my show and I had to leave them on that same high note. It was kind of a up thing the whole the whole show. You can do a show like that you could only do one ballad. The the rest of the songs have to be up, you know, up tempo stuff. But that's what I would have to do every day, every hour. And I'm telling you, and there's no exaggeration, I would start to have anxiety about that gig every year that I did it. I would start dreaming about it about two months before it came up. And it, it, there were nightmares, actually. I would dream I was late. I would dream that something was messed up with my agent and all kinds of things. Then when I finished the gig and got to come home, because I had to live there when I was doing the show, I have a, a nice, you know, camper like motorhome thing. And they get, you have a special place where it, you park it there on the, the fairgrounds and you actually stay in it. And you're there the whole time. And the day after I would come home, I would, for a few months, I would still have these nightmares like I'm late for the gig. I'm late for the gig. You'd have to go through this gauntlet of security to get into the, to the stage area in the Coliseum because they're concerned about terrorism and all that. I, I get that, but it, it's super tight security everywhere. And it was just an unbelievable hassle. So I said all that just to say, um, those kinds of gigs, they can either make you or break you. And if you have the right mindset and you're willing to to use them to to build yourself, then they can be a great a great um, bonus for you. Now, the course I'm 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 doing a course called the Solo Entertainers Boot Camp, and it's going to be ready in February of 2020. It's going to be available, and it's going to cover all kinds of things. The details of, for instance, how you even get a gig at the State Fair of Texas. That's a that's a big deal. It's a big contract, and all of the fair and festivals are really high paid gigs anyway. So that's something I'll talk about in the training course and how you do that and how to build an act that they they will want to hire they will be calling you you know the funny thing is about agents and all of that when you need an agent when you're looking for one they won't even return your phone call when you start getting hot basically and and you've got an act that's unusual and very entertaining they'll call you they'll be looking for you trying to get you to sign onto their team and that again, that's going to be in the Solo Entertainers Blueprint, Solo Entertainers Boot Camp. So look, be looking for that in February. And by the way, go to my website and register so you can know when that comes out. It's thegigcoach.com. That's T-H-E-G-I-G-C-O-H-C-O-A-H.com. Didn't even spell it right. The Gig Coach. There's a sign-up form right on the front page there. But that will get me your email, and I'll get you some uh, some in- information about training things that will be available and send you some emails. It's not a... A, you know, spam thing where I'm going to hitting you with all these emails every other day. That's, I don't do that stuff. I'm here to help you. I love music. I love doing what I'm doing. And I want to help someone else do the same thing I've done. 
because it works and it's life changing. This is a life changing thing. This is a reinvention of you. If you love music, if like I said, if you're a DJ, if you're a karaoke singer, I can teach you how to take your singing skill and build an entire bookable, high demand act around that skill. You just—it's not again—it's not a, a lack of talent that holds people back. It's a lack of having a clue what to do with that talent, how to monetize it how to craft it into a show that people will pay you again and again and again to perform. So this is Rockin' Rick, your gig coach. And again, go to thegigcoach.com and please register for my newsletter and subscribe to this podcast so that you are notified whenever a new one drops which is multi- usually a couple of times a week at at the you know at the latest once a week but this is good information this isn't bs this is stuff that can if you will apply it change the way you have done music as in the marketplace and get you in high demand just like i'm in high demand here's something i want to leave you with this thought If you want to play at the top of your game, if you want them to remember your name, you must learn to entertain. You must learn to entertain. This is Rockin' Rick, thegigcoach.com. Thanks.